1: Jim Richards, I want to welcome you to this message in this series about the power of perfect love. Man, I hope you're getting a lot out of this. I'm getting great testimonies uh, from people everywhere about this. And really, you know, one of the things that people are so appreciative of, and I was kind of a little nervous about this, you know, you know, I do tend to bring out our responsibility in relating to God, Uh, in the gospel. Uh, I know everything's free. I know everything's given to us in the Lord Jesus, but we do have responsibilities. And and really the truth is a lot of those responsibilities get down to the motives of our heart. What are our intentions? And so not everybody wants to hear that. And you know what, when I get these kinds of testimonies that I'm getting, I know that people are appreciating hearing something, even though it might be making them responsible uh, on a certain level People are people are really really grateful to hear this. By the way, let me just encourage you: go to, be sure and go to uh, YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube, and and post comments and uh, uh, subscribe and and uh, but mainly, you know, come to our website, participate on our website. I tell you, I got all kinds of free resources on our website to help you in your walk with God, and I want to be a a complete absolute blessing to you. Today, we're talking about having the right answer. And I just want to tell you uh, right off the bat. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is you know i, I have been I have been de- helping to develop people in ministry for nearly fifty years. And uh, it's always been kind of interesting to me that one of the things that seems to cut people's feet out from under them is uh, always feeling like they've got to have the right answer. and uh, uh, and so so don't jump to conclusions about what this message is going to mean. As a matter of fact, Even though this is going to really apply powerfully to people that are in the ministry, I want those of you who have a passion to reach your family, your kids, your spouse, you know, your extended family, uh, uh, the people that you love, people you care about, because we we have been told this incredible lie, and the lie that we've been told is that the hardest people in the world are the people that know you the best. No, that is not true. Those are the easiest people in the world to win. It may take a little longer. But the problem is not that it's hard to win those people. The problem is how we go about trying to win those people. The real truth is, if people are watching you and you're changing, particularly if you're getting nicer, you know, I'll never forget. We were having a conference here one day, and a and and, I, and a family walked in from the back. I didn't know them, but you know, I could tell. I could tell they were international just by the way they were dressed. I could tell they were from another country, and so. After my session, I you know went out and introduced myself and and so we were talking and they had just they had just flown here from Australia man they had bought their tickets late, so there's no telling what they had cost them and but they had flown from Australia here to Huntsville Alabama to attend one of our to what attend one of our conferences and uh, uh and I said, so why in the world did you you know did you at the last minute spend this much money to get here and, and I mean he brought his whole family brought his it was the husband, it was the wife, uh, and the two kids, if I remember correctly. And so uh, he said, he said, I got to tell you, Jim. He said there was a woman here in town kept trying to get me to read your book, Grace: The Power of Change. And he said honestly, it was just so offensive to me that she thought I needed to read this book on grace because I, you know, I'm, I felt like I knew about grace and da 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 da. And he said, but over time, and he said another thing was she was very annoying, very rude, very hard to get along with. And so he said, what why would I want why would I want to read something that she's reading, considering how what a difficult p- person she was? And so he said, "But over time, I saw such a dramatic change in her life that I thought to said, well, all right, man, if she has read something that has affected her life so powerfully, he said that I, that's what I'm gonna do. i'm I'm going to read that book. And he said, I read the book, and he said I immediately decided I need to get on a plane and I needed to be here. And so, uh, he was willing to listen to somebody that up until that point in time, he didn't want to listen to because her life really wasn't compelling. It wasn't attractive. You know, you know the uh, the Apostle Paul says, I believe it's in the book of Titus, he says, do everything to make the gospel of the Lord Jesus attractive. Well, the main thing, we, do, we don't do that by compromising our message. We don't do that by watering it down and by making it more commercially acceptable. I hate all that stuff. But what makes the gospel attractive is the life we live, mainly the way we treat people. So usually when you say the life we live, people think about living a flawless life, a life where you, you know, where you you don't have any problems. No, no people don't mind you having problems. People are not going to reject you if you have problems. Now they'll reject you if you're a hypocrite and you try to pretend like you don't have problems. But I tell you, I'll tell you what people respond to. People respond to the way you treat them because that gives them a chance to see what the gospel looks like when it's working in someone's life. It gives them a chance to see who Jesus really is, because if we treat them the way Jesus would treat people. And, you know, uh, throughout this session, we have read those scriptures in First John over and over and over again, where, where, where he talks about how, the, you know, when the love of God is perfected in us, That we love one another. You know, that is supposed to be the calling card for the church, is supposed to be that the world looks at us and they see that we love each other. But that's not what they see. And so this is why people run from us. This is why people do not want what we have. But so we're going to be talking about having the right answer. Let me just say this. Let me get this out of the way. Having the right answer is dependent on one thing, it is dependent on listening to their questions. So many times we sit down with people, we decide we know what they need, we decide we know what we need to tell them, and we don't listen to what's important to them. And, uh, you know, really that sends a message that says, we're not interested in you, we just want to get our point across, we want to fix you, we want to tell you what what you need. But I got news for you. Uh, There is a way to make people thirsty. We are supposed to be a salt that makes people thirsty we're supposed to be light that shows people how to how to maneuver in the darkness of this world we are supposed to be like you know jesus was the living water so i would assume on some level we need to either be the living water or we need to be bringing the living water so you know first john chapter 4 verse 7 so we've been talking all this stuff about about making sure you understand that these scriptures are not saying that the love of god delivers you from fear, that the love of God, you know, solves this problem, that the love of God solves that problem. That's not what it says. It says that when the love of God is perfected in us, it solves these problems. It delivers us from fear. It delivers us from, from condemnation. It, it compels us to love one another, and, and and when we are compelled to love one another, that's when we actually have real influence on others. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Now, this is so very, very important. The word no, anytime you see the word no in the New Testament, it, you know, this is this is the same word for no as, as having sexual intimacy with somebody you love. It's, it's about becoming one with somebody. It's, it's about having a, a deep personal experience with somebody. So he is not just saying that you know God in the sense that you you know you met him, you shook hands with him, you said hey how you doing? I know who you are, you know. No, he's talking about someone who actually has experienced God. This is so incredibly important. So it says everyone who loves people who walk in love, they're they're not they're not just born of God, but they are experiencing God. Now listen to this, verse eight. This is so crucial to this whole concept of. Of what we've been talking about here for weeks. He says, and he says, uh, and he who does not love does not know God for God is love. Now they, he is not saying you're not born again. You know, he didn't say if you don't love, you haven't been born again. He says, no, if you don't love, you're not experiencing God. And so this whole idea that, okay, if you know, you don't have to love God, that doesn't matter. Just as long as you know God loves you. Well, you know, that's really not what scripture says. Uh Jesus taught a lot over in the book of John. Man, you go over and look at John fourteen through sixteen, and man, you, you discover this: this is a reciprocal relationship where you're real and honest and intimate with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You hold nothing back, and and it's it's not a one sided. I'm going to use you to to be my uh, uh, one who fixes me, but, I, but I'm not going to put anything into this. No, this is a relationship, and and the point of this thing is that we want to know and experience God through the Lord Jesus. So what do you mean, through the Lord Jesus? In other words, we look at him, we see how he lived, we see what he taught, we see how he treated people, we see the miracles that he worked, we see everything about his life, and then we see what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, and that is how we know who God is. And if we're treating people differently than Jesus treated them, then we are not representing God. And so we want to represent God. This is how God is glorified. It's when the world sees God in our lives. And so, so we're not just coming to God saying, God, I just want you to love me. And I don't care about anybody else. I don't care what happens to anybody else. Doesn't matter how I treat anybody else. No, we're coming and saying, God, I want, I want to be a better person. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I came to Jesus, man, I'll tell you, I knew I was my problem. I knew. That every problem in my life was was because of me. And I wanted to get saved from me. I I I, I was the problem. And so I, I want to be, you know, and I didn't know that that getting born again meant that you became a new person. I didn't know that. There were so many things I didn't know, but I got to experience them very, very, very quickly. And you know that doesn't mean all my problems were solved right away, but it meant that I started a journey that has been a consistent journey for over fifty years. It's never been boring. Uh, it's never been disappointing. I've never, you know, I've never had a bad experience with God. Had some bad experiences with uh, church every now and then, but not many. If you want to know the truth, and uh, I, and many times. The bad experiences I had with church were my fault. There were, there were things that I did because, you know, I, I was just growing up. I didn't know anything about how to treat people, but, I, but the more I came to know God, the one thing that changed was value for other people, value for God, and really the Greek word for love, agape, more than anything else, that word means value, to hold, to have value for someone, to hold them in high regard, and to consider them as precious. And so, it says that if I'm not doing it, if I am not expressing I'm not talking about just having a feeling in my heart of value. If I am not treating people like they are valuable, then the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, then you are not experiencing God. So this whole idea of, of okay, all you got to do is know God loves you and, and nothing else really matters, uh, you know what, That that don't fly. Uh, that's the starting place. Praise God. I mean, that's the right starting place, but uh, you know in our heart our motives and our intentions have so much to do with how encountering God affects us. You know, when God sent Moses to the children of Israel, it's so interesting. He gave the same message to the children of Israel that he gave to Pharaoh. The message was, I want you to come out here. I want you to come, I want you to come out of Egypt. I want you to come out, and I want you to worship me. Well, because of the motive and the intentions of Pharaoh's heart, that word hardened Pharaoh's heart. But because the children of Israel wanted to follow God, that word softened their heart. And so, our motives and our intention have so much uh, uh, impact on how the word of God is going to affect us, but also how interaction with God Himself is going to affect us. And some people harden their heart toward God. So, so. If I'm not experiencing the love of God, if I'm not going into this thing and saying, "Father, I need you," and I, you know, yes, I want to know your love, I want to feel your love, but I also want to give love. I, I I want to treat people kind. You know, one of the things I knew growing up, I grew up in a family of violence. I grew up in a family where, and and in a world, I'll tell you, the the little town I grew up in, Tennessee, uh, they used to call it Little Phoenix, and at that time, uh, Phoenix, uh, Alabama, I think it was, was, was 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 like a murder. Uh, capital of the world uh, per capita uh, of the population. It was a, it was a horrible place, and Telemont was called Little Phoenix because it was so violent. You know, I can remember walking to school as a kid and seeing people laying in a ditch. I didn't know if they were dead. I didn't know if they were passed out. I didn't know what. You know, there were all these little beer joints. It's what I call a beer joint town. And There were all these little beer joints and. And all these rednecks would get together and get drunk and fight on the weekends. And and you know, it, it was just crazy. It was a very violent, violent redneck town back in the early 50s. And so so man, when you when you grow up in that stuff and and you have to kind of fight to survive, you have to act like you're tough, even if you're not, then you know, then you, you develop this way of relating to people that's not very friendly, that's not very that's not very loving, that's not very kind. I got news for you. Listen, it, it was it was years in my walk with Jesus where it took me time to walk out of that. Took me time to overcome uh, these things that 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 I had spent my entire life learning. But I came out of those things because I was experiencing the love of God. I can say this too, by the way, when Brendan and I got married. I started experiencing love from a person, which uh, other than my mother was the first person I ever trusted that actually loved me was Brenda. And I got news for you. Uh, Boy, love has true love has an incredible impact. I'm not talking about a doormat kind of thing. I'm not talking about a codependent kind of thing. I am talking about where you have value for somebody and you know that they have value for you. But anyhow, so here, here's the deal. If, I am not walking in love. Now, that doesn't mean I've got it all put together. Doesn't mean I've got it all worked out. But if I'm not walking in love, then the real truth is, I'm not experiencing God's love. So it doesn't matter that God loves me. Doesn't matter. The question is: Is that love being perfected? And, and by that, does it? That means: Is it? Is it actually growing in my life? Is it influencing my life? Is it bringing me to where I am becoming uh, this person? this new identity, this new creation in Christ. And so uh, uh, it's kind of interesting because Jesus is our model. So it goes on verse 9, it says, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. So we see the value that God had for us. He sacrificed. And He said, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So we see that the model is that that God loved us first, and actually in verse ten, he goes. I mean, verse eleven, he says, "So if this is the way God loved us. If God so loved us, this is the way we should love others." So, so God loved us when we weren't lovable. God loved us whenever we didn't love Him back. But God had a goal in His love, and the goal in His love that he, was that He could heal us, that He could not not just change us, not just yes, you know, God always wants us to become better people. Why? because when we're better people, we have a better life. Whenever we whenever we walk in love, we don't end up in a divorce. When we walk in love, we don't hurt other people. And so so God's goal for us is that we become a new creation, that we experience transformation, and that it affects people. You say, well, wait a minute. what's it got to do with having the right answer? Well, you know, one of my favorite scriptures, and you know, listen, uh, you know, when I came to the Lord, I wanted listen. My, my family—I knew my family needed Jesus. Nobody in my family was born again. Now there were some mean religious people in my family, but uh, there wasn't anybody that was born again. Wasn't anybody that really knew God. Wasn't anybody that—you know—my uncle was the only one that showed me the love of God. Never ever talked to me about about God one time, but had a great, great, great influence on my life. But. Uh, I want to win my family, but also I want to win my generation. You know, I was a professional musician. That's how I made my living, sold drugs. You know, I need a little extra money, sell some drugs. And other than that, I played in bars. And, you know, back in those days, you know, as a musician, you, you know, you do construction work in between gigs and you, and you'd go get a job somewhere and you'd play with some band for, you know, for a few months and then that would blow up and then you go somewhere else and do construction work, and, you know, and that that's just kind of the way it was. And so, but, but, nobody was winning my generation. Nobody knew how to reach those of us that were, were using drugs and dealing drugs and living this crazy criminal life that, that so so many of us live. And, man, I, I want to win my friends with Jesus. I want to win my family with Jesus. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy, and I had no clue how I was going to do it. I just knew this. I knew I didn't need to come into the door telling everybody what to do, I knew I didn't need to come in the door preaching to everybody. I knew all of that would simply drive people away. Now listen to this in the book of 1 and Book of First Peter, third chapter, fifteenth verse. I'm reading from the New International Version right here. I, I just like the way this says it, and it's true to the original language. He says, "Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect." So. That last sentence is so incredibly important. So there's several things that I see in this. You see, we have been the way we have been taught, we've been taught, we haven't been taught to be witnesses, we have been taught to do witnessing. You say, well, well, what's the difference? Well, a witness is someone who has firsthand knowledge of the facts. A person who does witnessing is someone who attempts to tell other people how to get saved or why they need to get saved. And so a witness is testifying to facts, uh, to life experiences, and uh, a person who's doing witnessing is kind of preaching at people and telling them what they should be doing. So a witness testifies to what they have personally seen, what they have personally heard, and what they have personally experienced. Now, one of the things that I have done my entire life—I don't know—I don't know how God led me into some of these things. And by the way, I have a great book. If you want to learn how to minister to people around you and do it in a very casual way, get my book called *Supernatural Ministry*. It takes you through how to win people to Jesus. It takes you through how to get people healed, how to get them baptized in the Holy Spirit, how to how to get them healed. Uh, it just—it's a how-to book about personal ministry. So you may want you may want to check that out so that you'll be ready when this opportunity comes to, to you. But anyhow, uh, so, you know, you know what I did, I always took what, what I call the assumptive approach. Now, the assumptive approach means you start out with an assumption, and everybody starts out with an assumption. Most people with, start out with an assumption that says they don't want to hear this. And so the once you start from that place, then this becomes something that is negative. It becomes something, you know, that you, you're communicating Something negative, and and you're treating them like they don't want to hear it, and you'll start being kind of condescending if you're not careful. My assumption is this: nobody wants to go to hell, nobody wants to keep hurting, nobody wants to keep living in the pain that their life is bringing them. That's my that's my assumption. Now they may not realize that Jesus is the answer. They may not realize that walking with God is the way. As a matter of fact, they may think that's the last thing in the world they want. But I start with that assumption. And you know what? So far, for after fifty something years, it has proven to be a true assumption. Nobody wants to stay in pain. Nobody wants to keep hurting. Nobody wants to keep reliving the horrors of their of their childhood if they had that you know kind of childhood. so, so, from that perspective, I realize that the next thing is, you notice it says it says that whenever we give them an answer, it needs to be with gentleness and respect. So I realize that even though people have this need, I can't go in and just, bam, you know, hit them, hit them, hit them, hit them. hit them. You know, I can't buttonhole them. You need to get born again, you know, and all that kind of stuff. No. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can, number one, I can treat them the way Jesus would treat them. Man, you look at Jesus when he was around sinners. The Bible says he was the friend of sinners. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean he did what they did. It doesn't mean he ever approved of what they did. But it meant that he had value for them. He treated them like a friend. He provided love and acceptance. And 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 I can do that. And you know, I, you know, I I never, I never talk to people about their sins. I never talk to people about how they're messing up their life unless they want to talk to me about it. Unless they want to talk, ask me some questions that sort of thing. But I'll tell you what I do, I talk to them like a witness. I talk to them like someone who has seen and experienced something. For myself. And so basically, basically, what I do, I just share with them what's going on in my life. I'll just talk to them about, you know, about something that happened in my prayer life the other day. I'll talk to them about uh, just about how God came through in a situation. And I tell you, you know, it's, it's so wild I'll be sitting there talking to people that that have probably never experienced God in their life. I'm like, you know, you know what it's like? You know how you cry out to God in your heart. And I'm just talking to them, you know, like they think the same way that I think. And because I am doing this. I'm not preaching at them because number one, the way that I'm treating them, which means I'm walking in love. And if, if God's, if God's love actually has been perfected in us, then we will start expressing value to other people. If we are experiencing God, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start expressing value, preciousness, you know, high regard for the people. So, so I just talk to them like they believe everything that I believe. Now, you know, many times, if you, read, if you read my book on supernatural ministry, you'll, you'll discover how to conversationally take a person right into leading them into the Lord Jesus. But usually that happens because when I'm talking to them as if they believe the same things that I believe, they end up asking me questions. Now, here's the thing that I've learned. If you're answering questions that nobody's asking, you're just, you're an annoyance. If you're asking questions nobody is asking, then you are making it clear to them they don't really care about them, that you just want them to care about what you care about. And uh, uh but you know what? If we have hope, you know the word hope, interesting, because he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you about the hope that you have. That word hope is a confident expectation of good things. And you know, in in our walk with God, we want to be people of hope. We wanna be people. We want to be the person who, when everybody else is getting angry, we're the calm ones. We want to be the peacemakers uh, in the room. We want to be the people that, that when everybody else is finding fault, we can bring we can bring mercy in into the situation. We want to be the reasonable ones. We want to be the people who are ambassadors. We represent God. We are going to treat the situation much like Jesus would treat the situation. I tell you, everybody should crash through the Gospels over and over again, learning how to communicate like Jesus did. But if we don't have hope, if we're, not, if we're not the person who's always expecting things to work out, we're not the person who's always open and expecting God to come through, then they don't see hope in us. So they're never going to ask us a question. But when people begin to ask us, why, why do you have a good attitude? Why do you not get mad when people say these things to you? Why are you not being touchy? You know why? 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 And you know what? They will tell you what it is about you that they that that draws them to Jesus. And when you answer those questions, you are setting the situation up to lead them to the Lord Jesus, to get them healed, to help them find place, to get them to recover from being backslidden or or whatever. So you know, I want you to understand something. If We will let the love of God be perfected in us, and we will express love to them, not by what we say, but how we treat them, then they will ask us the questions. Listen, I want to encourage you. I am endeavoring to reach one billion people around the world and raise them up as disciples. We are training leaders all over in Bible schools all over the world. And I'd like to invite you to become a world changer and help us do this. Uh, You can go to our website, impactministries.com, or you can go to drjimrichards.com, both same website, take to the same place. Check out our World Changer page and also share this with people and like this if you're watching it on YouTube and join me next week. We're going to take another step in this thing about the power of perfect love.
0: Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.